You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, as we open your word this evening, we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us. May your words become very significant to us. May you guide us in in a way that transforms our lives, brings them into harmony with you, that we might know your shalom and your joy. Please guide us now, we ask. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For many weeks now, we have been studying the book of Romans. You've all heard so much of how powerful and significant uh, this book is to the church. And through time, uh, this year we're celebrating the 500th year of the Reformation. And Romans is the book that triggered the Reformation. The understanding that we are justified by faith, that it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, not our merit, but his mercy that saves us. The 11th chapter of Romans, just before our text uh, this evening, concludes this way. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Doesn't that sound like a good conclusion? Doesn't this bring it to a finality? This kind of a crescendo to this... uh, Theological symphony that's been played so beautifully. We're done. Close the book. But the Apostle Paul is not done yet. And even though this is a really fitting doxology, there's more to be said in the light of all that has been said of God's great mercy. Paul begins. In this second half, and you really can't divide theology and ethics. You can't divide a kind of doctrine and behavior. Uh, That is far too simplistic here because Paul isn't finished and the Holy Spirit isn't finished with us. I appeal to you. Now, I think we could really spend the next 20 minutes just on this phrase, I appeal to you. Different translations, I beseech you, I urge you, I exhort you. And I just wonder what kind of tone would be appealing to you. If indeed we do have the Spirit of God, And we indeed have been justified by faith through grace in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If Paul is talking to us, who by God's mercy have received that adoption into Christ, 
If this is what we've experienced, then how are we going to receive this? We're going to be open to the urging, open to the beseeching, open to the appealing. We're going to be receptive. And I do believe that as Paul is speaking here in the spirit, that he is assuming that kind of reception. I urge you, I beseech you on the mercies of God. And those mercies have been celebrated and understood in depth as Paul has moved through this letter to the church at Rome to present your bodies, to present your whole selves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which is your reasonable, logical, rational approach. Paul is effectively saying, think about this now. In the light of all that God has done, in the marvelous way that God has worked to bring about his grace and mercy to bear on sinful humanity, and then personalizing that in such a way as to receive you and me, think about it. When the 12th century monk Bernard became the abbot of Clairvaux in his mid-twenties, he told novices they must leave their bodies outside of the monastery when they entered. Now his point was that a deeper spiritual life had to do with the soul, had to do with spirituality. But Christian spirituality does not disparage the body. Paul here is really making a radical statement when he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies, your whole selves, unto God as a living sacrifice. This is what it would mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, with, with your whole self. Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases it this way, and to the point that he's making, it's an important paraphrase. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to bed, going to work life, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. May your bodies be a living sacrifice. Now, it's kind of interesting that the Apostle Paul has not used the word sacrifice until this point. He has talked over and over and over again of Christ being the sacrifice. But he has not used that word sacrifice for Christ. You are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. For while you were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, 
much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now are we reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So much has been said about Jesus' death on our behalf. His atoning sacrifice to bring us to God, to reconcile us to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the word sacrifice has been reserved now for our response, our reaction, our offering to God. So to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice is to offer everything about us back to God as a gift to be transformed by his spirit into that which would be pleasing to him. As Paul said to the Corinthians, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The physical side of spirituality and the spiritual side of physicality, the whole self is brought as a living sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you remember the conversation about the mind in chapter 1 of Romans? Where because the, the very clear, very understandable, the very real truth of God has been denied by man, God has given man up to the foolishness of his mind, to the hardness of his heart, and so now when the Apostle Paul speaks of the renewing of your mind, no longer being conformed to the pattern of this world, but the renewing of your mind, he's seeing a great reversal from the depravity of humanity apart from God. Now the mind, the life, the body, the whole self can be lifted up in glory to God because of Christ's mercy. Scripture all hangs together, doesn't it? If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's really, it's different language, but it's the same truth. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the body, in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You notice in your bulletin underneath the sermon, there is George Herbert's poem. George Herbert is, was an Anglican pastor working in rural England who was a poet and a theologian and a pastor. And this poem is entitled The Altar. And I think it's a worthy and wonderful response to put alongside Holy Scripture of a living sacrifice. A broken altar, Lord, thy servant rears, made of a heart and cemented with tears, whose parts are as thy handed frame. No workman's tool has touched the same. 
A heart alone is such a stone as nothing but thy power doth cut. Wherefore, each part of my hard heart meets in this frame to praise thy name. That if I chance to hold my peace, these stones to praise thee may not cease. Oh, let this blessed sacrifice be mine and sanctify this altar to be thine. You know, there's a long history of altars, of sacrifices in Scripture. It starts with Abel, who no specific mention is made of altar, but Abel offers a sacrificial lamb. Noah built altars. Abraham built altars. The high point of Genesis 22, and Abraham is offering his son Isaac on an altar and stopped with the dagger raised. But what a wonderful picture and type that points forward to the father's sacrifice of the son. Until this is understood, that the sacrifice of Christ results in our living sacrifice for him. Until that's understood, we really won't have the motivation or the understanding or the desire or the passion for really the renewed life that's no longer in conformity to the pattern of this world. And I think that comes about, brothers and sisters, really through an intentional, prayed through, lifetime desire and passion. And it's certainly not meant for a select group of Christians. But it's meant for every child, for every woman, for every man that follows Jesus Christ, that is saved by his mercy and grace. N.T. Wright wrote in his commentary on Hebrews these words somewhat discouraged over Christianity's impulse. And he writes, In my own country, I meet a settled prejudice, even among people who are highly intelligent in other areas, who work in demanding professions, who read serious newspapers and magazines, who would be ashamed not to know what was going on in the world against making any effort at all to learn what Christian faith is all about. A settled prejudice against learning what Jesus Christ is all about. As a result, he says, we find both the churches and, and, churches and those on the outside an extraordinary ignorance of who Jesus really was what Christians have believed and should believe about God and the world. The point is that each one of us, I think, is then spoken to by the Apostle Paul in this moment of urging, beseeching, appealing. Do you, in the Spirit, really want a renewed mind that's no longer conformed to the pattern of this. Do you really want that? 
Do you want your life remade? Kind of from the ground up by Jesus Christ and his word. Do you want the Sermon on the Mount to be the vision and the mission of your life? You want to enter into that. I think this is what the Apostle Paul is appealing to us, urging us. And he's not shy and he's not embarrassed to, to press the question, to push the thought. You know, nature has really been in the news for the last few days. I hope that we're really praying for friends and family and for people in Texas as they weather this storm. We started the week on Monday with the eclipse. And it took 93 minutes for that eclipse to sweep through the United States at over 1,500 miles an hour, lasting for two minutes in each spot where it was total. Well, you can't read this particular passage without thinking of the path of totality for the Christian. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just the totality of that the eclipse of the self for the sake of the kingdom. And are you on, am I on that path of totality? That the self is eclipsed for the sake of Christ. Three really quick stories. Because I think brothers and sisters in Christ around the world do understand what this means, this living sacrifice. In the voice of the martyrs, the, late, the most recent issue, they tell the story of Khalid and Samira, a husband and wife who accepted Jesus Christ in 2010. And because of danger, because of persecution, they told no one for two years. And finally, they felt that it was time to be baptized. They were baptized in what they thought was relative secrecy. But a picture was taken. And the Muslim Brotherhood posted the picture of Samara being baptized on, her face, on a Facebook page. This led to persecution of Khalid and Samara. car was smashed, their dogs were poisoned, Khalid was beaten up at work, he was a teacher, by fellow teachers. This went on for several years, and then in 2014, Samira, Khalid was woken up early in the morning one day with shouts and screams coming from the kitchen. And somebody had broken into their house and replaced the cooking oil with gasoline. And Samara just innocently had opened it, poured it, lit it, and it had exploded. And she was in flames. Before she died two weeks later, she explained to her husband, Khalid, that she had forgiven her persecutors even the person who was responsible for her burns.
Khalid and his three daughters have uh, been able to get out of Yemen, but they are still in a Muslim country and still experiencing persecution. As he said, I have nothing to lose. Everything has been taken away from me but Christ. In her memoir, a second quick story, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, Rosera Butterfield chronicles her conversion to Christ in 1999. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University from 1992 to 2002. Her primary academic field was critical theory, specializing in queer theory. Her historical focus was 19th century literature informed by Freud, Marx, and Darwin. She advised the LGBT student group, wrote Syracuse University's policy for same-sex couples, actively lobbied for the LGBT aims alongside her lesbian partner. In order to refute the religious right, she began to read the Bible. And she read the Bible thoroughly and systematically for the first time in her life. There was also a Christian family that extended hospitality to her and just listened to her. Her conversion and the fallout from it was catastrophic professionally, financially, and relationally. In her words, she lost everything but the dog and gained eternal life in Christ. A third quick story and the end. In a recent article published by the Gospel Coalition, Johnny Erickson Tata reflects on the 50th anniversary of her diving accident. She was 17 when she broke her neck and became quadriplegic. She has lived for 50 years in a wheelchair without the use of her hands, without the use of her legs. And on many levels, her story embraces the power of the cross from her self-understanding to the mission of the cross. Early in her ordeal, Johnny became convinced that God permits what he hates. God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. And her Christ with me in suffering friends came alongside her and taught her how to reach out to others, even in her weakness. Well, a few weeks ago, she was at Camp McDowell, here in Alabama. She and her team will sponsor 50 family retreats, about half in the U.S. and half elsewhere, for special needs children's families. And she was at Bethany Village at Camp McDowell, and a young 20-something volunteer came up to her cheery with a Down syndrome child on her hip and said, Miss Johnny, do you ever think how none of this would have happened if it were not for your diving accident? And Johnny flashed a smile. It's why I thank God every day for my wheelchair. 
And when the, the girl walked off, Johnny just had that moment of kind of looking at this crowded dining hall, busy and happy, and many special needs children in that place. And she thought, she's right. How did I get here? It has everything to do with God and his grace. Not just grace over the long haul, but grace in tiny moments. The beauty of such grace is that it eclipses the suffering. Until one July morning, you look back and see five decades of God working in a mighty way. It begins, brothers and sisters, with giving ourselves to the Lord, all of us, our whole self, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our pleasing, reasonable service of worship, and not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but being renewed by the Spirit of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.